Hi there, and welcome to Woman to Woman. We're doing things a little bit differently today. I'm Christina Jenkins, and uh, Pastor Deborah Butler, who is my mom, has asked me to be a guest host today to interview one of my longtime friends, Alicia Hankins Moran. Uh, and so we're going to, you know, just have a good time today and, you know, just see as the Holy Spirit leads us, how we're going to, you know, we're going to learn some things about Alicia and what God has done in her life and um, just minister as what's on our heart. So first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm completely honored to be here with y'all. Yeah, I'm so honored and privileged, I feel like, to be able to have this moment with you because we have not seen each other now in several years in person, right? Yeah. <laughs> Between all the kids and, uh, you know, all the businesses and all the everything going on. But yeah, it's great to have you with us today. So just for those of you joining me, um, Alicia is a native of Louisiana. She grew up in a pastor's home and spent her entire life in ministry. Of course, those of us who are uh, from Word of Faith and the you know Word of Faith circles um, would be familiar with her dad. Her dad is uh, her, her mom and dad, really, Reverend Mark and Trina Hankins, um, a wonderful couple. Um, from pastoring and traveling, Alicia has helped thousands of people grow in their walk with God and pursue a life beyond the norm. She's a great friend, speaker, and podcaster. And her voice transcends race, gender, age, and tradition. Her humor, passion, and love for people is seen, read, and heard throughout her ministry. She and her husband, Caleb, travel extensively, helping people from all walks of life. She's a proud mother of five, and she delights in raising her children to love and serve God while serving his people. So once again, welcome, Alicia. <laughs> Hey, yeah, that's right. a lot, right? <laughs> I, I tried to delight in raising my five kids. <laughs> that's a statement of faith. <laughs> yes, so we're certainly going to discuss that today because I was like, I'm going to ask some questions that I have because you've got, you know, Jaden obviously is what, 17 now? Yeah. Yeah, yes. so, and my littles are still little and I have some questions for you as a mama myself. <laughs> I have foreseen it all for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. So before we jump into um, kind of talking about that, I, what's your, you know, I would put it this way, what's your origin story? Like you're meeting somebody at the grocery store and you have a random connection all of a sudden, you know, or you just have those moments and maybe you get a chance to have a conversation and they're like, who, you know, who are you? What, where are you from? What's your origin story? Tell us that. Yeah. I think for me, I would probably say, um, you know, I was raised in ministry and so my heart is people mm -hmm. and whether that's pastoring or, you know, just meeting a neighbor or whatever it is. Um, and being raised in ministry always has given me a heart for God and for just doing exactly what he put me on this earth to do. Yeah. And so that is my passion. I feel like that is the core of who I am, mm -hmm. is living a life to honor God with the life he's given me. And, um, and of course, my family is everything. So when I'm meeting someone in the store, it's going to come up that I have five kids right. <laughs> and, um, and that everyone is 
automatically going to say, oh, wow, you must be busy. I need to sit down with you and get some wisdom. And I'm like, yes, you get a lot of wisdom from the mistakes I have made, not because it's perfect. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely would say, you know, raised in ministry, love the Lord and really am just here to do whatever he put me here to do. Yeah. That's my yeah, totally. And so um, obviously we I don't remember the first time that we met my earliest memory of uh, being around you and your brother, Aaron, was, uh, you know, coming to um, Oklahoma and going to camp meeting, Brother Hagen holding camp meeting. And I have, you know, especially fond memories of there was always like a speaker's room, you know, yeah. where everybody would kind of hang out in the hotel after in the speaker's room. And then they'd have this little side off room for the kids of the speakers. <laughs> right. We're all so, kind of like at each other. <laughs> yeah. We're all like, OK, we're, you know, our parents are like go in there. <laughs> so my earliest memories is us kind of sitting around having conversations and, uh, you know, with. Uh, the Thompson kids and uh, the mm-hmm. Mink kids and, you know, having uh, these discussions about what our lives have been like to this point. And sometimes the strange things that people would say to us and ask us yeah. <laughs> because our parents were in the ministry. So I do want you to talk at least for a moment, you know, about because people obviously would just the same way with us would be curious, you know, what was it like growing up with your parents, you know, in ministry yeah. with Reverend Mark and Reverend Trina Hankins, who are, you know, known worldwide. Um, yeah. What was that like? And what was your childhood like in that sense growing up as a PK? Well, I think something that's really unique about what my parents did was when I was one, they went ahead and started evangelizing. So they got a motorhome mm-hmm. and, me and my brother, my parents, we traveled in that motor home. So this is what, this was normal life for me. Okay. Going to church every single night, living in a motor home, going to a different state every week. Um, that was life to me, but I want to say something about that because a lot, I think a lot of people could probably think like, Oh, wow. I'm so sorry that you had to grow up in a motor home and go from town to town and, you know, all these things. And I think one of the most beautiful things about the way my parents did it was they made it, they always turned everything to be such a positive and we get to do this. Right. Yeah. And so that was a wonderful, a wonderful way for them to do it because anytime I would feel sorry for myself and be like, man, I don't have any friends like in one place. Like I always have to leave my friends. And they were like, do you know how many people would love to make, friends all over the United States. Like no one gets to do that. And you have friends all over the United States. And I'm like, oh yeah. So they're always able to turn it into something positive and really teach us that nothing that we do for him is a sacrifice. It's an honor. Yeah. And so because of that mentality that was ingrained in me, I never became a victim. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I thought, no, it's our honor to do this. It's not a sacrifice. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't ever ugly because, yes, it got ugly. (laughs) At times, especially as you get older, you know, you get get those awkward years in middle school. And so once um, I hit like nine years old, we moved to Alexandria, Louisiana, and my dad started to pastor that church. And so that took on a whole nother element of now, you know, you're not just a preacher's kid, you're a pastor's kid. Yeah. So that puts you, and I know you know this, that puts you in that glass bowl, mm-hmm. you know, of everyone's critiquing and like you're just out here on display for everyone 
to say what you should do and how you should do it and everything else. Um, so, you know, that, that did know, as you know, that did have, you know, some negative effects because you grow up with that mentality of you kind of have like a little bit of a guard up because mm -hmm. you don't know who's going to stay and who's going to leave, Yeah, you know, who's going to walk away from your life and who you can trust that will be there forever. Mm -hmm. And so that has given me a real, you know, this came out in counseling one day because this is probably getting deep real quick, but that came out in counseling one day because, um, he said, uh, what is a core belief of yours? And, um, and I said, people always leave. And he said, and then I started, kept talking and you know, whatever. Cause I didn't even think, realize what I said. Mm -hmm. And he said, wait, 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 I want you to go back. And I want you to say what you said. I'm like, what? And he said, what did you say? And I said, people always leave. And he said, okay, so where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Well, that comes from being in ministry. Yeah. And it's true. A lot of times people don't always stay. Right. And you kind of have to, your, your parents, you know, they have what it takes to deal with that. But as you're growing and adolescence and everything else, you're like, I'm not sure how to deal with this. Right. So I know you know what that that feels like. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's also given me such, like, I value um, real people and I really value lifelong relationships yeah. because mm -hmm. I know that not everyone is there for life. Right. And so yeah. I really value that, like, the safety of, like, um, people that are steady Eddie. Like, you know, mm -hmm. when I show up, I'm going to see their face yeah. and I know no matter what happens, they're going to be there. They're going to be there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, growing up in the, in the spotlight a little bit, you know, has, has its effects, but also refined us and, and really showed us what the cost is because, you know, we're always supposed to count the cost. Yeah. And so, you know, from a child what the cost is and yet you still choose to do the same thing and to, you know, do what God's called you to do, yeah. no matter the, so, Absolutely. yeah. I think um, <laughs> one of the things that you said earlier, earlier, uh, early on that I want to kind of go back to for a second is just, you know, at the heart of who you are, you have the desire to do what God has called you to do. And I do believe that, um, that there are other ways that people can, can get that. But I do believe that comes from, you know, growing up in ministry and seeing parents who are the same people when they're out in public and on stage as they are at home and recognizing like they have their own relationship with God and like getting to see that life lived out in front of you, because that's one of, you know, the things for me when I think about, you know, many impactful things that my parents have said or done around me or, you know, I've watched with them. And one of the things particularly with my dad that I think about, you know, that I really appreciate is I learned like to chase God by watching him because, he has yeah. always chased God and the will of God, you know, not yeah. in the sense chase him, you can't catch him, but you know, he's always pursued after, okay, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Like, no yeah. matter what the cost is. So I made a decision early on, you know, before I was even an adult that, you know, people, what do you want to do? What, what do you, what do you, what's your dream? What's your, you know, it's like, I was honestly, my real dream is to hear well done thou good and faithful servant. Yeah. Like that is my dream. I want to, 
finish the mission God has for me. And it has many pieces to it and many seasons to it. Right. Motherhood is a part of that is, you know, modeling that for my kids so that they are able to make a decision, you know, hopefully early as well, that there is no other way really that's worth it than to chase after God and to serve him. So I love that. Yeah. Devotions with our kids once a week and It's probably every single time, no matter the subject of what we're talking about, I will always end it with trying to drive that in them as well, that it does not matter. Anything else in your life does not matter except for doing what God has called you to do. Nothing will fulfill you. Nothing else will make you happy mm-hmm. and will you surrender wholly and completely to him. And it's the only thing that matters. Yeah. And, and I think that's because like you said, you know, you see your parents live that out in true authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so when you have parents that are authentic, um, what they preach is who they are at home. When you're faced with trials and difficulties and adversity, they do what they told everyone else to do. Exactly. Right? And <laughs> right. that, that makes a world of difference yeah. for children to be in that environment and say, yes, that's real. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want. No matter all the junk I've seen and what I've seen them go through and the difficulty, I want that. Because like you said, I want to hear, well done. Well done. Yeah. I, I always think how horrible it would be to get to the end of one's life and have regret of, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have stepped out, you know, and, and, and did my full potential and what God's called me to. And, um, so yeah, I'm with you 100% in that. And that's what I'm trying to put before my kids too. And whether I see that fruit now or I see the fruit (laughs) later, I will see that fruit. Yes, you will. It is seed time and harvest. It is biblical. Yes. You will see that fruit <laughs> in, its, in its fruition on top of that. Yes. So, um, yeah, so there's another piece to that. And it is, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody actually earlier today, and they were talking about some difficulty that they just went through um, in their life and some negative emotions that they were really dealing with depression, you know, over a couple of months. And they're like, nobody really noticed, you know, what was going on. And I was like, well, I noticed, you know, it's one of the reasons I would ask you like, hey, how is everything going? Because I didn't necessarily know you were depressed, but I knew something was going on. And so we started to just talk about life, you know, and uh, she was saying how, you know, adulting is hard, you know, they're, they're just, but it comes down to recognizing that in life, there's going to be pressure and deciding how much pressure can you stand up under? Like, am I going to be one that am I going to fold at the hat at the midway point? Or am I going to just keep going no matter what pressure comes, no matter what situations come. And so I think that, you know, I want to, um, you know, let's segue for a minute and just talk about your family. So tell us about, I know that you and Caleb have married. I, I met Caleb in, I think it was 2000, the year 2000 oh, wow. yeah. or 1999, yeah. somewhere in there. So how long yeah. have you guys been married and tell us about, you know, your kids and their ages. Okay. So we have been married for 21 years in a few weeks. We'll be married for 21 years mm-hmm. and we have five kids, which are Jaden is 17 He's about to graduate. Gavin is 15. He's a sophomore. Landon is 12. He's in sixth grade. And then I have Dylan and Hadley, which are twins, boy, girl, twins. They're both eight. And eight now. Oh, my God. I know. Wow. And that makes you feel old. 
It does. I'm like, I know I just saw a picture of Hadley recently and I was just like, oh my gosh, she sounds beautiful. But I don't think it re- it registered that oh. like she's older. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was like tall. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So, so we stay busy with sports and, oh, you yeah. know, all the things. I can't even imagine. Like, uh, I, I can't imagine three. I'm like, whoo. Yeah. She was like, you how many more? I'm like, no. <laughs> Unless you're like, I need you of me to help me do all this. Right. Unless you're going to carry it for me or pay me, you know, yeah. take care of it. Like, I think we're good. I think we're at our max. Unless the Lord says differently. We were going for four and we got right. five. That's we right. Going you're going four. for a girl. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yes. But, That's you know, right. what a beautiful surprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so shifting back for a moment and, and talking about that pressure, you know, I do want to, um, you know, talk us through um, the testimony that you all have. I know you have many, but I specifically just really felt led that we, we definitely need to talk about the testimony with um, what you all went through with Dylan and okay. um, and his victory. Um, so can yeah. you walk us through that? And particularly, you know, of course, tell us, you know, what the situation was and all of that, but I want to know how, how did you all stand up under the pressure of that? Um, yeah. you know, yeah, well, Dylan was, uh, he had just turned three, the twins had just turned three and, um, you know, we noticed, and I'll, I won't give you all the details, but we noticed he had some swollen lymph nodes in his neck and we were trying to figure out what was going on with that. Um, he, uh, we went and got him blood tested and they said, he has mono. And so we were like, okay, we can handle that. Mm-hmm. Well, within a matter of three weeks, he couldn't breathe. And I thought he had bronchitis and being a mom of five, I was self-diagnosing him. And so I was like, he has bronchitis. I'm going to call the doctor and let them know that he has bronchitis. And so I call him, I'm like, Hey, Dylan has bronchitis. I'm 100% sure that's what it is. Can you call in some breathing treatments for him? And so um, they were like, sure, we'll do that. They know me. I've been there forever. And so we're doing these breathing treatments. Nothing seems to help. He has very labored breathing. Mm-hmm. And um, we go to Alexandria to my parents' camp meeting. It was a Sunday night. And we go there and we get there for service. But Dylan was just acting funny. So I left him at the house with a sitter and we go on to church. Well, we're standing in church and I can't shake that something is really wrong with him. Mm-hmm. And so I'm texting my mom on the front row and I'm like, I really feel like I need to go home and check on Dylan. And so she said, yeah, I think you do too. So she actually got in the car, we left service. She got in the car with me, went and checked on him. Uh, long story short, we ended up taking him to the emergency room. And again, I tell them he has mono. I think he is dehydrated. I just need y'all to give him some fluid <laughs> and send us on our way. Okay. And so we end up there, we're in the middle of the night. And actually they said, um, we did blood work and his blood cell count is our machine can't even count. It's over 300,000. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but for a child, it should be like 10,000. So I was like, Oh, what does that mean? That's from the mono. He said, uh, no, the only thing this could be is leukemia. Well, they end us end up taking us on an ambulance to the ICU and in, in our, actually our hometown. And, uh, they said he has a football size mass in his chest mm-hmm. and that's why he couldn't breathe because it was cutting off his airway. And they said, if you would have 
waited one more night because it was growing so rapidly. They said he would have just died. He would have suffocated from that mass because it was just growing so quickly. So we went from three weeks before where everything was fine except for he had mono. And within three weeks, he had developed a mass and it was growing so rapidly that it almost killed him. Mm-hmm. So within that first week, we were in the fight of our lives for his life because they put him in ICU. And then they um, he got put in a medically induced coma. And so when uh, they treated, they did his first round of chemo. And when they did that, something happened called tumor lysis, which it, the chemo attacks the tumor, but the tumor goes apart and then it wreaks havoc on all the organs. Mm. So that's exactly what happened. And so all of his organs started shutting down. His lungs were not working. He had one small part of his lungs that were still working. So he was on a vent and they said, we've done all that we can do. Um, so we said, okay, well, y'all go out and we're going to do what we know how to do. Mm-hmm. And it was my husband and I, uh, my parents were in there. Pastor David and Vicki Sharon came. Thankfully, everyone was in Alexandria, so they were close enough. They just came. Yeah. And we got in there and we began to speak life over his lungs. We commanded his lungs to open up. We praised God. We worshiped God. We did everything that you know how to do. You know, one of the, that, the thing that you tell everyone else to do that you're yeah. like, you're in a life and death situation. And, you know, we all, we all uh, want miracles. We want to see miracles. We don't want to need one, right. <laughs> you know, so I, was like, I don't, don't want to need one. I didn't want you to need one. And I might help you through it. So, but we did that. And the most amazing thing was the doctor just kept walking back and forth in the hallway. And he, he kept pacing to come in and look at the machines. And then finally uh, he came in and he said, whatever you're doing is working don't stop. And his lungs began to open up. And so that was our first miracle. We needed a lot of miracles, honestly, but that was the first miracle. And, um, what I'll say and what I tell most people, because it is very difficult, especially when you're looking at your child, it's different. If you're looking at a grandparent, you're looking at someone else's child, Mm -hmm. you're looking at even a church member, whatever you're looking at someone else's life. When you are looking at your child, it's totally different. And so for me, one of the most important things I had to do was, um, in that moment, I had to decide that I was not going to give in to my feelings. So I'm not going to cry about this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be hugged on about this. Not right now. Eventually there's time for that. But right now, I don't need to be hugged. I don't need to be cried with right now. I need someone to fight with me. Yes. So it was so important for me to not lean into my emotions. And I know it's important to feel, but not when you're in the middle of a fight, like you can do that later. So for me, one of the most important things in order to get up under that pressure, like what you're talking about is to be hardened to difficulties Mm. Say, okay, I'm going to be hard right now to mm-hmm. difficulties, and I'm not going to think about what what could happen. I'm not going to let my imagination go crazy, and I'm going to just get in fight mode. And you're a mama, so you know yeah. you're going to fight your kid like you're you would fight for like you wouldn't even fight for yourself. Exactly. You know. Yes. <laughs> so that's one of the most important things I think. Getting into fight mode, and then. 
Um, I'm so thankful for all the years of putting the word in because when you are pushed and you are pressed and you are squeezed, the word comes out. So I'm so thankful for all those years, you know, like putting that roof on before the rain comes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thankful that we put that roof on before the rain came. Uh, because we were ready for the fight. We weren't having to hurry up and gather some tools and and figure it out. We already had our tools and they were already on the inside of us. And um, so that enabled us to get up under that pressure Mm -hmm. and just, and push back and be like, oh no, 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 no. Devil, you can't and you won't because you have no authority here. Right. And and again, too, that's from seeing my parents face difficulty and not lay down and die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that my dad has always taught, taught us, you know, there's a sink or swim moment you're going to have in your life. Mm-hmm. And when you're thrown out there into the water, you can sink or you can swim and you're going to find out real quick if you have what it takes to keep swimming, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. I feel like, you know, you know, even when people say I've been fighting the same battle for so long and what do I do if I've been fighting for so long? I'm like, you stand. And when you've done all to stand, you stand there for, and you just keep standing. You keep fighting back. So, um, that those were two really key things was to not lean into my feelings or my emotions. Now they came out like wildfire later. I'm sure. (laughs) And like all those things. But that in those moments of life or death, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm staying mad right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to stay mad Mm -hmm. at the devil. And I'm going to point all my feelings toward him and, and fight for my son instead of, because you can't feel sorry for yourself. Why my kid, Mm -hmm. you know, why this, why that we're good people. We know the word we're faith people. This shouldn't even be happening. Why is this, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a a million and one questions that go through your head. And so, and the devil doesn't fight fair either. So even in the middle of that, I know he's in there like, well, you know, you guys wanted four, right? Is he in there? Well, that's, you want it for. So I mean, you know, maybe this is this, maybe this is that, you know? Yeah. That's how he he fights. There's so many, like, it's perversion, like crazy thoughts and ideas that, that come and you just have to kick them and and just be like, no, I'm not, I'm not having this. I don't have to have this. It's not mine. So, um, (laughs) no, that's not mine. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, in the, my kid, you gave him to me. So we have jurisdiction here Exactly. and I'm redeemed. this kid's redeemed. And, um, you know, it, it's not easy, but pushing through, getting up under that pressure, that's how you do it. You know, building a strong foundation of the word of God, not your ideas, not listening to other people, not reading whatever book, but a strong foundation of the word because the word is the promise. Yeah. So the only way you can pray confident prayers is if you're praying the word because you know the word is guaranteed. That's the promise, you know? Mm -hmm. Stay tuned for part two of this episode of Woman to Woman. What every Christian parent should know. Growing children up in the 21st century can be a daunting task. For Christian parents, however, it can and should be a joy to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6.4 God has given us an instruction manual for living. 
His Holy Word, which includes instructions on how to raise godly children. In this book, Pastor Deborah L. Butler shares what she believes every Christian parent should know in order to raise their children in a way that's pleasing to God and that will prepare them for a future in Christ that knows no limits. Order your copy today in ebook and paperback at eStore.keithbutler.org.